I'm just excited about next year. I'm excited about 2022. I'm excited about crypto. I'm bullish crypto, David. Are you? You believe that? I'm bullish crypto, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Bankless Nation, it's Friday morning. Happy New Year to you. Well, it's almost New Year. I guess it's uh, New Year's Eve day that David and I are recording this. Uh, and uh, it's roll-up time, David. Well, actually, I stole your thunder. What time is it, David? Oh, it's roll-up time, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks for softballing that one to me. Yeah, no, it's time to roll up the whole entire year. Uh, actually, we already did that, but this is going to be the last roll-up of 2021. We are covering the last two weeks, so there's a lot to cram in, but also it's one of those times of the year where there's kind of quiet. So it might actually just be the same kind of length, same roll-up, uh, covering two weeks, but about the same amount of stuff, hopefully. And hopefully we can get this done in a reasonable amount of time. We were really, really good at it last time. We'll see if we can do it again. So, uh, so some of that stuff we're going to cover is Shopify. They just opened up their platform to NFTs. That's really cool. It's also been like airdrop week for the past week and a half. Everyone's dropping coins, uh, you know, I guess right before the, the new year. I don't, I don't know why, but we'll talk about some of those airdrops that are coming. Also, the biggest protocol merger ever Ooh. was just approved this week. Uh, two big DeFi protocols teaming up. We've also got like old brands like Radio Shack. They are entering the DeFi space. And, are uh, they, crypto are they? Yeah, yeah, good question. <laughs> we'll get into that. And also Jack Dorsey versus Web3, Oof, a tussle a on Twitter. One. We're yep. going to talk about that too. So a lot of things going on in the holidays as well. And once again, we will roll this up for you and talk about each of those with uh, some additional things. Um, before we do, David, let's talk a little bit about Hashflow. Hashflow, um, all right. Yeah, so Hashflow is like this DeFi OTC desk. Uh, what is an OTC desk, David? And what does this protocol do? Yeah, an OTC desk is if you have a big trade, if you're a trading firm or just you want something just to have your price be optimized, an OTC desk is where you go. You throw them a bunch of money and then they get you back your trade back to you at an optimized price. Hashflow is that but as a DeFi app, OTC DeFi. So they work with, uh, they work with you to uh, automatically get you the best price on your trade, uh, as well as things like MEV resistance, uh, front running resistance, uh, and a, just a number of other things to make sure that you get the best price when you make your swap. So you can check them out at app.hashflow.com. That's yeah, pretty cool for whales too. And rumor is they are issuing a token as well. We'll get to that Cover a that little bit later. further in the yeah. roll-up. Uh, all right, David. Well, let's talk about Bitcoin as we get into the markets. The markets this week for Bitcoin. And uh, David, why don't you give us like the, the two weeks? Mm -hmm. We usually do uh, just one week, but what's uh, the, the two weeks highs and lows look like? Yeah, two weeks. We started this uh, two weeks ago at $48,000. We are currently at 47300 So over two weeks, we're down $700 with Bitcoin. Hit a low of 46000 Hit a high of 52000 Overall, down 3% over the two weeks. Just down 3%. It felt like it was down more. Maybe that was because of uh, Ether price has been down, and it feels like a lot more. What's uh, the mm -hmm. last two weeks been for Ether? Yeah, two weeks ago, Ether started at $4,000, hit a low of $3,650. A little bit surprising uh, how low that got. Um, it's, it's high during that time period was 4150 We are currently at 3750 So overall down 6% over the two-week period. Um, my take on this is this is just low liquidity shenanigans. Uh, this is the, the end of the year. All the traders and, and market makers and all institutions that place bids and asks on, on exchanges, just, you know, they take a break too. Uh, and so just the, the markets are very, very low liquidity in a, a low liquid uh, state. 
towards the end of the year. And so this is a, a ripe opportunity for whales to play some whale games. I suspect that that's kind of what's going on here. I don't really treat these numbers as real. I'm going to wait until the first <laughs> week of January to uh, to actually re- reaffirm the actual re- what the real prices are. I feel like retail is taking some time off too. Like yeah. retail isn't really uh, b- bidding these things up either. They're just kind of letting it happen. So maybe yeah. that's uh, what's going on as well. Um, but I'm I'm kind of glad that we're not ending the year in euphoria territory. To mm-hmm. be honest, like I feel like this tees us up for next year, and I'm anticipating a big year next year. Bullish going into 2022 how about you oh ab- absolutely and and you have the the one month chart pulled up on on ether right now and it's a bad one month chart yeah that is the, bad actually starting the month at four thousand <laughs> seven hundred dollars ending the month at three thousand seven hundred dollars so down a thousand dollars on the three month. month looks okay though three month looks great yeah so to uh, starting the three month at three thousand two hundred dollars hitting the high of four thousand eight hundred dollars and ending at three thousand seven hundred dollars uh just a, a cr- crab crab two months slightly up three months bearish one month overall just like a quieter market than what we have been used to so i think that's setting us up for a fantastic january well we're looking at let's look at the year 730 dollars at uh, the start of um this year and uh now we're 3700 so not not a bad way to uh to finish it um but also not euphoric right like it did things didn't get crazy last year so maybe we'll serve uh save some of the craziness for next year how about the ratio what's that doing yeah ratio Bitcoin also ETH. down down with the market as well is down to 0.086 uh so kind of broke through that 0.08 number but still overall in a satisfying place if you uh believe in the flipping hmm. do you believe in the flipping sir oh yeah definitely <laughs> a core believer Certainly. in the flipping yeah. found founder of the flipping belief uh <laughs> how about the bed index all right so this is a, a third a third a third DeFi, bitcoin and ether uh we must be down on the two weeks uh we are down 18 percent on the one month the last two weeks have been flat or ish i think we're down at roughly six dollars from 141 to 135 where we are now okay there we go uh let's talk about decentralized exchanges though while we're on markets david because if you aggregate this and look over the year, this has been an incredible year for decentralized exchanges. Over $1 trillion in trading volume activity in 2021. Absolutely wow. phenomenal. Wow. You can see this chart. This is kind of the compilation. Uh, you see a lot of uh, Uniswap here um, from v- V2 and, and V1. Also SushiSwap, Curve, um, Serum. There, there are about 14 others, kind of a long tail of, of DEXs. Uniswap by far the most dominant but what an incredible year for decentralized exchanges. I remember not too long ago, people said that decentralized exchanges would never take off, right? It's like, because you couldn't host an order book on Ethereum, it was too slow. Um, And that wasn't that long ago. That was like, you know, 2017, 2018, uh, 0x was trying to make it in that world and really just couldn't. And now decentralized exchanges, like they're just taken for granted, but this is something that has uh, totally burst onto the scene and what an incredible year, 1 trillion in trading volume. Yeah, DEX is breaking through Coinbase's uh, uh, volume numbers on a 24 hour or even a weekly basis is now like kind of feels like normal. Dex, yeah. <laughs> Dex volume numbers don't make big headlines anymore. People are just assuming that they are the things that just carry us into the future when it comes to markets. Uh, yeah so, i mean the next normal. milestones to breaker it's like nasdaq right yeah it's like w- yeah. wake me up when dexes are bigger than uh, the nasdaq and and um you know uh, new york stock exchange 2022? Uh, 2022 i'm not gonna call that okay i got my predictions but that's not one of them yet um not for 2022 
Uh, let's talk about urine finance. So this is the y the YFI token, the protocol behind the YFI token. It had a pretty good week despite DeFi collectively being down, uh, sort over 85% one week. And the reason is token economic changes. Okay, governance put together a few ways to juice the uh, YFI token or to uh, deliver more value to to token holders. One of those ideas that went forward through governance uh, is the ability to stake YFI tokens in exchange for XYFI tokens, and then holders would receive additional YFI, and urine would buy that YFI in the open market. So it's almost like an open market operation in exchange for uh, staking YFI. Um, they also are considering implementing a, a model that's based on curve finance, where if the more you YFI you lock up the, um, the the greater rewards that you get in in YFI tokens as well. There are a number of other things, but I think the big takeaway here is like um, this is sort of what we anticipated. Every every token protocol is very much incented through its governance process to start capturing the value that's accrued by its protocol by its token. And sometimes this happens during bear markets. This will also happen during during bull markets. But every DeFi token is going to do this. This is why I'm not worried about token value capture long term, as long as it's governed by individuals with a profit incentive, and they all are. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, David? Yeah, there's this inevitable friction behind the value that a protocol offers to the ecosystem and then the actual valuation of the token on the secondary markets. Those, thing, those things are separate things and the field, the domain of knowledge that we are calling tokenomics is about how do we get those things more aligned? How do we get those things to overlap rather than be separate? And, and Yurna has really struggled with this throughout 2021, where I think it's more or less been flat versus the dollar and then absolutely got smashed versus ETH in 2021, just because the tokenomics were a, a point of contention as people, people would consider Yearn a very valuable protocol offering a very valuable service and the value of the token would could not capture that value. Uh, and so naturally, as Ether has like, you know, 5X and Yearn has stayed stayed flat, YFI has stayed flat, there's a growing incentive for, the, for everyone to figure out like, all right, how do we more closely align the value of the protocol with the value of the token? So this is an attempt at that. There's a little bit of like pumpamentals or Ponzi-nomics in here, but kind of that's that's what tokenomics are. How do we align the value of the protocol with the value of the token on the secondary market? Uh, and these changes created an 85% YFI price increase. And so the market so far seems to agree that these are good changes. Yeah, absolutely. I do think other tokens are going to do this as well. So uh, this is the this is the final form, the final state of all DeFi tokens. Uh, guys, we will be back with the releases of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. And now it's live and has over 100 projects deployed. Gas fees on Ethereum L1 suck. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. And that's why teams like Arbitrum have been hard at work developing layer two solutions that makes transactions on Ethereum cheap and instant. Arbitrum increases Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. 
If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better user experience, go to developers.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. And if you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps being built on Arbitrum. Many DeFi applications on the Ethereum L1 are migrating over to layer twos like Arbitrum, and some are even skipping over the layer ones entirely and deploying directly on layer two. There's so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so go to bridge.arbitrum.io now and start bridging over your ETH or any of the tokens listed and start having the DeFi or NFT experience that you've always wanted. Alchemix is one of the coolest new DeFi apps on the scene. It introduces self-paying loans, allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Deposit the DAI stablecoin into the Alchemix vault in order to get an advance on the interest it generates. Borrow up to 50% of the total amount of your deposited DAI in the form of AlUSD stablecoin. Here's the craziest part. The loan pays itself back and you cannot be liquidated. Unlock your assets potential in the ultimate DeFi savings account. And brand new to Alchemix is the ETH vault where you can deposit ETH into the application, borrow AlETH against your deposits while having your advance gradually paid back over time. V2 is rapidly approaching, which will allow for even more collateral types plus a variety of yield strategies to choose from. Harness the power of Alchemix at alchemix.fi. That's A-L-C-H-E-M-I-X dot F-I. Follow Alchemix on Twitter at AlchemixFI and join the Discord to keep up to date with Alchemix V2 and to get involved in governance. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. Let's start with this one. Shopify plus NFTs. Shopify, massive e-commerce protocol platform plus NFTs, the ability to sell NFTs, just spin up a Shopify store and sell your own NFTs, that is coming, that is now here. What do you think about this, David? Yeah, on their page, they say, mint and sell your own branded NFTs with Shopify and Shopify payments right from your store. Join the NFT beta program today. So Shopify already out of the box has like half an, half of an NFT platform ready to go. All that's missing are the actual NFTs. Uh, and seems like that's what's here today now. Uh, and so Shopify, already a digital e-commerce store, like integrating digital products into your digital e-commerce store seems pretty trivial uh, as far as things go. Uh, and so it seems like they're, t they're diving headfirst into NFTs. The URL for this is shopify.com slash NFT. Uh, so relatively easy if you want to go check that out. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. There's so many wins for existing like Web2 platforms in the NFT movement, and this is just another win. And this provides uh, another fiat on-ramp directly to NFTs, so it serves consumers as well. Um, bullish that, great to see Shopify diving in. I mean, they're absolutely massive, and they've grown like crazy recently. Uh, David, let's talk about the browser game. So Opera's doing a big move here. What are they up to? Opera the browser, of course. Yeah, Opera is integrating Polygon. Polygon applications and the Matic token are integrated directly into the browser coming in Q1, so like in two days. Um, uh, well, Q1 starts in, in two days. I don't know if it's coming in two days. It's sometime in Q1. Um, and they say, get ready to benefit from the fast, scalable, no-fee environment of Polygon and access over 3,000 apps on the Polygon network. So Polygon integrated right into Opera, which is a pretty interesting choice because, you know, Polygon isn't everything about crypto. Uh, there's stuff elsewhere, but Opera has decided to not integrate Ethereum, not integrate, you know, Arbitrum or Optimism, just only select Polygon for, for now. Um, pretty interesting choice, um, but uh, definitely makes sense because, you know, you got to have something scaled in there. Uh, so but congrats to the Polygon team and, and also really awesome to see Opera moving forward into the Web3 world. 
And I wonder what this integration will look like. I know it's it's particularly aimed at their their mobile device, and I know Opera has a wallet as well. So I wonder if this is just like a seamless browser to uh, DAP to DeFi app sort of experience inside of the inside of your mobile browser. And if so, like that's awesome. That is uh, that is super bullish. I've I've been looking for like more seamless integration between crypto native applications and the browser. Like right now we're doing it through extensions and third parties, but like what if it was completely integrated? If it was just, there's there's no need, it, there's no a fundamental need for it to be like a whole separate application inside of a browser. Like it could be part of a browser. And I wonder if this is what Opera is, is pushing towards. Love to see Chrome. Firefox, the other browsers uh, follow suit, but they seem a little sleepy mm. compared to Opera. Opera's like hungry for market share, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's talk about this, David. Uh, Clarity DAO. This is a new coordination and information management tool for DAOs. Lots of DAO infrastructure being built out uh, these days. This is a way for uh, DAO contributors to solve the access control problem. So it's the ability to, I think, um, you know, segment access to certain things within a DAO to an Ethereum username. So if there's some piece of content on a web page, or maybe there's there's a Discord server, and only certain whitelisted DAO participants uh, should have access to it, I think this provides a way to provide access control uh, and and um, you know segment that access to particular Ethereum username. So it's sort of a sign in with Ethereum type of application here, specifically targeted at DAOs. Yeah, it sounds like it's a Google G Suite, like uh, some admin management tool uh, with you know permissions and you know lets you access different parts of the drive. But instead of the drive, now it's the DAO. Um, makes sense. Makes yeah, it makes sense, and uh, good to see that stuff being built out. Um, Parachains also officially launched on the Polkadot network. David, what is uh, what is this about? Yeah, Parachains are Polkadot's big. That's their big thing. That's their big innovation. Kind of some sort of hybrid between uh, sharding and rollups, but built inside of uh, Polkadot. It's been the the flagship uh, feature of Polkadot since uh, since inception, uh, and now it's finally here. So, congrats to Polkadot. Five parachains went live. I think of these sort of as rollups. What's interesting about these is um, you actually have to the parachains actually have to bid for a slot. They're not just like you can't uh, permissionlessly just start using. Polkadot, you actually have to bid in DOT tokens for one of these slots. And so these first five parachains that, that successfully bid, they went live. Um, all told, it cost about 99 million DOTs, uh, I believe. Um, that was garnered by these five projects during the auction period. That's $2.4 billion. I'm not sure all of the details of how that works, but it's definitely a, a different and interesting mechanism as compared to Ethereum rollups. Um, David, what's this? BitMEX yeah. is announcing a token. Okay, I thought BitMEX was anti-token. What are they doing here? Yeah, for those that came uh, into crypto in 2021, you might not be familiar with, with BitMEX. It has a pretty long track record. Bit, BitMEX is uh, a centralized exchange for uh, margin and leverage trading. It's, it's kind of been known to be like the, the casino, uh, just like where people just go 100x long on Bitcoin and inevitably get wrecked or not, or may, or they get riches. Um, it was like, David, it was like the DGen playground before DeFi became the DGen playground, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, before before DeFi and then also before Binance Smart Chain kind of took over the casino thing. Um, but yeah, it, Bitcoin, it, it was famously Bitcoin only for the longest time. Arthur Hayes uh, was like on, on the run from, I, I think the CFTC or the Arthur Hayes, the founder of, of BitMEX. And there's a long backstory. 
Um, ever since uh, BitMEX ended up getting, um, I'm not sure, like charges from the CFTC or, or some three-letter agency, they've kind of taken a, a new uh, turn, new turn. Uh, and what was formerly a very like Bitcoin-centered ecosystem is now issuing a token, which like previously was blasphemous coming from uh, the, the leaders behind BitMEX. But now BitMEX has a token. It's basically a uh, loyalty token. Um, some sort of th- like kind of like airline miles, but specifically for the, the BitMEX exchange. Uh, so the BMEX token is out and live. The interesting thing is like, why not? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, why not issue a token and, and see what happens? I guess uh, that that's their play on it. And I think they're, they're trying to re- revive some retail interest. Right. So give some retail users a reason to continue using BitMEX and compete against the FTXs of the world and the Binances of the world who've really taken center stage over the last couple of years and um, leapfrogged BitMEX. Uh, let's talk about this. So Hashflow is issuing a token as well. We were talking about Hashflow earlier in the uh, introduction. That's that OTC DeFi protocol. What are they up to here, David? Yeah, they're issuing a token. So if you have traded on Hashflow or contributed to the community in early on, uh, do you own a Hashbot NFT, for example? Uh, then you might have the HFT token. Uh, and so that's the Hashflow's governance token and will be able to free to claim uh, towards the end of January. Uh, and so stay tuned. Uh, if you are a Hashflow ecosystem participant, you might have a token coming your way at the end of the month. There you go. Uh, more fiat on-ramps to Arbitrum. This one from Huobi who is a um, a centralized exchange. Now they're allowing deposits and withdrawals for ETH directly to and from Arbitrum. It's kind of cool. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, knocking them down. We need more, 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 more. This is good news, and I want 50 more news items like this over the next month. It's coming, though, in 2022, right? Mm -hmm. Like, including Coinbase. That's the big one I've been waiting for. Yep. Coinbase definitely. I bet Coinbase Q1 2022. Okay. Was that a prediction? Is that that's official a, David a Hoffman that's prediction? A, that's an, God, yeah, the last time I did this, I did not end well. Certified yes, fresh. Yes, David Hoffman official prediction. David Hoffman prediction. Coinbase uh, off, <laughs> uh, on and off ramps onto an Ethereum layer two in Q1 2022. There you have it, folks. He took the bait. We got him now. I'm texting, I'm texting <laughs> Brian right now. It's like, Brian, you something. <laughs> please, please, Brian. <laughs> Tweet outstanding. Okay, raises this week. Alexis Ohanian and Polygon, they're investing a cool $200 million into centralized social media. Alexis Ohanian, the co-founder of, of Reddit, of course, a venture capitalist. He's coming on Bankless a couple of weeks. We're going to ask him about this. But uh, what's up with this news? What's going on? Yeah, there's a lot of just excitement and energy around decentralized social media platforms. While the details on what that means and what that is is still fuzzy, uh, regardless, people are still working on them. Aave is working on this. Polygon is working on this. Um, I mean, it would be huge for any ecosystem to be like, the thing that figured out decentralized social media. So there's obviously a lot of uh, reward there for whoever can crack that nut. Uh, and it makes sense for Alexis Ohanian to be right there. He's the guy that created Reddit, um, which is the most, you know, kind of like, is, Reddit itself isn't decentralized, but it kind of looks and feels like it, right? With all the subreddits. Uh, and so th- really, really cool. $200 million in the war chest to build out some sort of decentralized social media. And in a time where we kind of really need it right now, Ryan, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen any decentralized social media that uh, that you've liked so far? Like I've tried BitClout a little bit and it's just been kind of meh. You know? yeah. 
I mean, I don't even know what like decentralized social media. What what does that mean? Like, what does the decentralization? How does that impact the social media aspect nature of it? Yeah, I don't know. I just okay. it's always been my gut that it's not going to look like the social media yeah. platforms of the past. Like, it's not going to be Instagram, just, like, but decentralized. That's not going to be. That's not exactly. Work. It's got to yeah. be something different. Uh, I do, I do think that there's something here, but you can't just slap decentralization on the thing and call it uh, decentralized social, social media. media. Yeah. So we'll see what they have in mind. But it's good to see the innovation. Um, talk about this a figment. They reached unicorn status. Wow, everyone's a unicorn these days. With a $110 million Series C, Figment is a staking services provider. They've got some big investors in the round here, including Binance. What I think is interesting here is, David, there are uh, there are a number of um, probably a couple dozen or so staking service providers. Figment is one of the larger ones. There's, there's Chorus One. Uh, there's a number of others. One called Staked was just acquired by Kraken. We'll talk a little bit about that. But um, interesting to see these just pure staking as a service companies uh, accruing such massive valuations so quickly. What are your thoughts? Yeah, the, it's just be, being a unicorn is just not the same this, this day and age. Not not after we printed like a bajillion dollars in 2020. Um, uh, this, this is going to be a huge story. It already is a huge story, but even bigger going into 2022 is staking. Uh, proof of stake, staking. Uh, it was it felt like uh, 2021 was the year of staking anticipation. I feel like 2022 is the year of actual staking and staking services being coming into their full production ready environment because of all the changes that are also coming in to production ready staking. Uh, and so uh, just some of the evaluations on uh, Figment, Staked and on all these other protocols um, starting to make a lot of sense. Well, this this wouldn't have happened, in my opinion, without like alt layer one season completely Probably. taking off, right? It's so, like because yeah. um, many of these networks they're semi active in ETH two staking, but not really. Their bread and butter is like the Cosmos ecosystems, right. the Solana ecosystems of the world, all of those uh, alternative layer ones. The ecosystems that the individual has a hard time staking on. Yeah, weird how companies start to fill that niche, huh? Kinda right, yeah. and uh, you're gonna take on that when it comes to news when we talk about stake, but we'll save that for the news section. Uh, B Protocol. They just did a raise, two point two million dollars. What's the B Protocol, David? Yeah, B Protocol came out of uh, the Black Tuesday. It was Black Tuesday? Black Thursday? Uh, Black Thursday. Was Black it? Thursday. Yeah, yeah. when uh, the crypto markets got cut in half by like 55 percent. Such a uh, distant memory. Yeah, yeah right. Like you remember that? Yeah, Ryan. We were recording uh, Bankless Podcast Number Two that day. Yeah, um, yeah. We uh, stopped the podcast and we're like, "Oh my god, ETH gas fees are like twelve hundred gwei or something." Right, and everyone's getting liquidated. What's happening? Yeah. yeah. So what happened on that day was MakerDAO had a zero die liquidations, as in people would pay zero die to bid on the collateral because gas congestion was so high. Uh, no one, no one other, no one else's bids on underwater maker vaults uh, were, were going through because gas was so high. And also, by the way, that was novel for the time. Like gas fees had started to creep up, but gas fees were still not a thing back in February of 2020. Like gas on Ethereum was still relatively cheap at that point. Uh, so having gas congestion was uh, very new to Ethereum. And turns out that pre created an unprecedented scenario with regards to liquidations. Uh, as what happened with uh, MakerDAO. So like MakerDAO got, uh, had $8 million of collateral that was purchased for zero die, which is a problem. Uh, and so uh, B Protocol <laughs> is a solution for this. It is basically like a, uh, a 
a protector around your vault. So your compound position, your maker position. And it, uh, when you deposit into maker or compound through B protocol, it gives you a like a wrapper of protection. It gives B protocol the right to liquidate you before anyone else. Uh, and so B protocol is a DAO that uh, is going to liquidate you at from the most favorable rates without gas fees. Uh, and you can take part in the liquidation or have your uh, your positions be protected by B protocol. Uh, really just a great effort here as well. Uh, disclaimer, Ryan and I are in this angel investment round. Very cool. All right, David, let's talk about jobs. Hey, it's a new year. Just about mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. It's time to consider a job in crypto. A new job, new year, new job. New year, new job, new outlook on life. Uh, you've been listening to Bankless for a long time. How about getting a job in crypto? Mm -hmm. um, hey, no regrets for me, man. I, I jumped Absolutely. ship full time in 2017 my corporate job uh and it's been absolutely awesome i had no idea what i was going to do next and uh in crypto you just kind of figure it out yep. right like you meet the community you figure out your niche and you go develop it it's a growing industry tons going on here are some of the jobs this week uh first a senior software engineer from gilded a founding full stack engineer a founding full stack engineer that's awesome utopia labs senior ios engineer senior backend engineer at smart DeFi, community ecosystem lead dydx bitwise still has some positions open nft specialist smart contract platforms and web3 research analyst crypto research analyst governance specialist as well at bitwise a head of growth at dex guru check that out for you marketing types technical lead draftly Blockchain developer, you got to be specialized in Rust, Rust, Rust at um, Solidix as well. And we could go on a ton of different jobs for you. You can check those out, bankless.palette.xyz. Grab a job in crypto this year. Grab a job in crypto. Ryan, shall we get to the airdrops? Because there was a lot of them. News time, airdrops time. Yeah, let's hit them. There's like, there's like five or six or maybe seven, David, but mm -hmm. we're going to hit like the three the, that the are three uh, big ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The three that are, you know, kind of worth claiming maybe. Uh, why don't you start with this one? SOS token. So here's the headline. OpenDAO's SOS token hits a $250 million market cap despite unclear goals and security risks. Unclear, <laughs> unclear goals and security risks. Man, does that not just sound like the start of the very beginning of a token? An airdrop? <laughs> yeah, that sounds about par for the course. Yeah, what's the your white paper? Unclear goals and security <laughs> risks. <laughs> the SOS token is basically OpenSea, but decentralized, but a DAO is what they are claiming to be. So if you ever bought, sold NFTs, bought NFTs on, on OpenSea, you might have an SOS token airdrop to you. Uh, I had my SOS token. I think I got like 0.6 ethers worth of SOS tokens. Um, haven't done anything with them. Uh, there you go. Who, who knows? You holding? Uh, maybe. Maybe, maybe selling for either one of the That two. just means David hasn't had time to sell yet. <laughs> How about uh, this next airdrop? Because that's, you know, one of three that we're going to highlight. What's this one? Yeah, this is from Giveth. Giveth has been around Ethereum for a really long time. If anyone has listened to the Layer Zero with Griff Green, he talked about Giveth. Uh, if you have participated in the Giveth economy, you might have an airdrop. You can check that out at giv.giveth.io. Um, Giveth is uh, something that's been uh, trying to spread out money and wealth into the different corners of the world, both with giving uh, grants and uh, trying to spin up the giving economy. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely check out that, that layer zero with Griffrey, especially if you want to like get a front row seats for the DAO and what happened there. Um, and then after that, we talk about Giveth. 
This is a responsibility token, guys. A valueless responsibility token. So the, the power to vote. Uh, a cool claim process, too. I went through and I claimed, and you can claim on XDAI. So cost no gas in order to do that. So you can plug in your ETH address and check to see if, see if you are a potential recipient. Uh, why don't you do this last one, too, David? Yeah, this one is Gas Dow. Have you spent more than $1,559 on gas? You might recognize Ugh. that number. You can yes. go claim your gas tokens if you have spent more than $1,559 on gas. Um, what it does and why it exists, absolutely no clue. Um, but you can claim a proportional amount of gas tokens to how much you have spent on gas. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm selling that one. Fifteen five nine though, like those are rookie numbers, man. How much? <laughs> how much gas have you spent? Oh my it, god, a lot. It also depends, right? It's like on what value, like right. is what it the value values? of the snapshot? Yeah. What dollar value? Because if you spent, you know, some ETH on gas a couple years ago, that that it you know, was like, you cost, spent pennies at the time. Yeah, spent pennies at the time that could amount to like dollars you know hundreds of dollars even uh today so that's a pay have you ever plugged one of your addresses into like yeah how much I, gas have i spent i don't like to do that too much yeah i, <laughs> I never do I that i just don't want to know this is i don't want to know uh let's talk about this ethereum news testnet is out the testnet for the merge right. the long-awaited merge fork uh kintsugi is the testnet and uh, this is a post from the uh, ethereum.org website from tim bako as well um, this is just another step towards getting the merge uh, into production on mainnet, hopefully coming in the first half of next year. We'll have to see, though. Uh, any thoughts on this? Yeah, this is where we do mark, mock merges, mock merges. We also talked about this with uh, Vitalik Buterin on the podcast that's coming out on Monday, uh, all about the future of the Ethereum roadmap and more. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, that was a good podcast, man. We just recorded that earlier today. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, good good stuff in that podcast. Make sure you check that out. Um, David, this was huge too. This yeah. happened uh, during the holidays. Well, it didn't happen during the holidays, but the news came out during the holidays of a critical Polygon bug that tw put $24 billion in Matic tokens at risk. Basically all the Matic tokens, yeah, that's like, like not quite, but like 92% or something like this. Uh, what happened here? Yeah, there was a ex uh, an exploit in the token contract I think uh, this is kind of hard for me to parse apart because I'm not a developer, but the token itself had an exploit, which is now patched. There is nothing left at risk. All, all fallout has already happened. Uh, uh, Black Hat attackers did manage to, to hack, uh, get away with $800,000, I believe, uh, worth of Matic tokens. But uh, in contrast to the 24 billion that was at stake, that's basically nothing. Um, two, two white hat hackers were paid out uh, many millions of dollars, I think $3.3 million for the white hat hacker that discovered the bug and then helped patch it. Um, and so this is now in the rear view mirror. It's unfortunate that happened in the first place. Also very nice that we are paying white hat hackers millions of dollars to discover these things. That's very Yeah, important. what was the reward here? This was huge, right? It's like 3.4. 3, 3.3 million dollars, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Matic Crazy. tokens, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, real, real close call with the with the whole Matic thing, right? Uh, that happened in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and this was um, this all happened and was resolved on like I think December fifth or something. But news just came out this week. They like they quietly like patched that and then issued the news uh, a few weeks later, um, taking care of that. I mean, it goes to show you like uh, there can be zero day bugs in some of this stuff. Yep. Yeah, even with um, thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of users and billions in, in value. Even with billion-dollar networks, yep.
Let's talk about this. This is probably the biggest uh, protocol merger being Ever. proposed in history, Ever. and it was just yeah. passed by governance. Rari Capital and Fay Protocol token holders approving a multi-billion dollar DeFi merger. What's happening? Yeah, on the surface, this kind of seems like what is a borrowing and lending protocol, which is Rari? Why are they being acquired by or, or merging with a, a, a stablecoin protocol, which is Fay? Uh, on the surface, doesn't make much sense from, uh, I haven't uh, unpacked this myself, but the people that I listen to in this ecosystem are very, very bullish on this partnership. There's a bunch of aligned incentives here. Uh, and this has also been adopted overwhelmingly by both sides. There was a, a it was basically on, on both Faye and Rari had like 90 to one or, or uh, yeah, 90, 90 to one approval uh, with regards to the token votes for saying like, yeah, everyone's a big fan of this. There was some criticism uh, about uh, this, how hasty this was from some community members. That was definitely a critique. But overall, I think this is going to be uh, a great alignment and incentives for over the long term. I actually want to hear the story here. Um, mm -hmm. I, th I think we should get Faye and somebody from Faye and somebody from Rari on the podcast to just like discuss like why this is happening and what the benefits are for both mm -hmm. both parties, or at least somebody who can dissect this for me because I haven't quite followed it, but um, it seems like it could be a, a very big deal and maybe a, a harbinger of, of things to come, more of these protocol type mergers in the future. That was a, a formal request, by the way, for all the <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> Jay, Jay from Rari and somebody from Faye, come on mm -hmm. Bankless. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll host you guys and talk about this. Um, Consensus is collaborating with MasterCard on a new Ethereum scaling solution. They're built using consensus rollups. What is this, David? So this is the old consensus quorum, which used to be a side chain. I believe they might now be folding it into a rollup. Um, uh, this this quorum was previously sold to JB Morgan, JP Morgan and then bought back by consensus from JP Morgan. Uh, and now is, I think consensus is now positioning it as a CBDC stablecoin payments protocol. That's a little bit, something a little bit closer to um, IBM's hyperledger than it is to an open public permissionless blockchain, which is, I think, probably the right foundation for something like a CBDC, where you know it's permissioned, gets controlled by private pr public partnership, uh, and there's actually somebody to call if something goes wrong. Uh, but uh, consensus moving forward with uh, you know uh, institutional stablecoin CBDC stuff. Yeah, it's cool that Mastercard is involved here too. So like Visa has a massive play in crypto, and Mastercard has some catching up to do. And I've started to see them trying to catch up in the back half of 2021, and I expect they'll they'll continue to ramp it up. Um, David, let's talk some meme stocks, man. Well, I guess maybe not meme stocks, but like meme tokens or old brands becoming tokens. Radio Shack is pivoting to DeFi apparently. So Radio Shack, uh, two guys bought it in 2020. And I, I assume they just purchased it for like nostalgia reasons for, for the name. Obviously, there are no Radio Shack stores that I'm aware of anymore. At least, you know, all, all, the, all the malls I've seen no longer have Radio Shacks. But I feel like this pivot to DeFi is sort of a, an asking to become a, a meme stock, right? It's a kind of like following um, GameStop, following uh, AMC, some of these older brands that have some retail nostalgia and pivoting into a, a new and interesting space. Maybe that's just the skeptical take. Maybe there's something really here. I guess their plan is to provide a bridge between DeFi and um, larger corporations, the world's corporations, but it, it also seems very uh, vague to me. What are your, what's your take on this? 
I think this is just a bunch of hot air. Uh, <laughs> do you remember in 2017 when um, the Arizona Ice Tea Company added blockchain to their name formally, and then like, and the, the stock price went up. Right, the stock price like doubled it, like yeah. overnight in the middle of the ICO mania. I think that's this is that's something closer to what's happening with with Radio Shack. Some people just I, bought the defunct Radio Shack brand, slapped DeFi on it, and now they are just dancing it around. Radio Shack DeFi, Radio Shack DeFi, and now people like you and me are talking about it. I think that's what's <laughs> going on. Yeah, probably so. I mean, that's that's. That that worries me a little bit because uh, that that was a top signal in 2017. So, um, but you know, like top signals are different every single time in the market. But here's another one: a DAO wants to buy Blockbuster and turn it into a decentralized film streaming service. Is this more of the same? Yeah, same kind of energy. Uh, I mean, they just want to make a. They just want to buy the Blockbuster brand and have it turn into some sort of DAO-related streaming service. Um, again. I think this is just a headline and I will wait for this to turn into something real before I expend any more brain power on it. But aren't memes real, David? Not without fundamentals, Ryan. <laughs> Good answer, sir. Uh, let's talk about this. Uh, speaking of memes, so a yeah. meme made it onto Jeopardy. No, this Constitution is a... style is not a meme. That's not a meme. It, I mean, you don't think it was a meme? There's tons of meme energy okay. behind that. We're right, gonna right. we're gonna yeah, form okay. a DAO to buy the Constitution. Nothing's more memey behind that. Right. They were actually able to raise some money, mm -hmm. so I guess maybe there were fundamentals. Yeah, maybe there, there's something yeah. there. Mm -hmm. There's maybe some fundamentals there. Anyway, the Jeopardy question from Alex Trebek was: Billionaire hedge fund CEO Ken Griffin outbid a group of crypto enthusiasts and paid forty three million for a copy of this seminal American document. The answer, of course, is. What is Constitution Dow? Well, actually, no. The answer is what is the Constitution of the United States of America? That's oh, actually, okay. actually, of course. The, the yes, Dow yes. is not actually a part of this. <laughs> That's right. Bummer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I misread the answer, hoping it was Constitution Dow. Yeah, it was just... Um... Right, yep. <laughs> sorry. Alex Trebek, I'm sorry. My apologies, <laughs> sir. Uh, all right. Moving on. Let's talk about Paris Hilton getting on all the right. ETH leaderboard. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a there's a website uh, that tracks the most followed uh, uh, Twitter handles that have .eth following them, and Paris Hilton is now up there as well. Uh, a few other ones came in. Uh, who, uh, who was it? Oh yeah, Shaq. Shaq. Shaq and Paris Hilton are Paris Hilton's coming in at number one at 16.8 million followers. So Paris Hilton .eth on Twitter, Shaq .eth at 15.5 million. We also have Trey Songs. That's new to me. Oh, he's got a bored ape. Uh, 13.8 million. Uh, uh, and then coming in fifth is our friend Vitalik. Vitalik is number five. Unseated. Not, yeah, unseated, big time. Coming in at, at a mere three million followers. Look, I mean, he's going to be booted out of the top 10 before long. It won't, yeah, it won't take much. Uh, mainstream is coming to uh, .eth domains. David, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure you're somewhere on here, right? You're, yeah, you're, you're on here. Down. You're on here. We're all on here. I think. Uh, not for long. We're not going to be on the front oh, page for long. We have 100,000 sure. followers. Yeah, we're, we're up there somewhere. There you go. We're, we're yeah. somewhere, but you know. It's cool to see mainstream, I guess, joining the the .eth uh, club. Mm -hmm. um, mainstream's also joining Bored Apes. So Bored Apes just flipped CryptoPunks. I believe this is briefly, or has it been persistent? I don't know. I haven't really uh, paid attention, but that that was a flippening that some NFT holders were predicting for quite some time, and it actually happened. Mm -hmm. David, I know you're a CryptoPunk holder. So what, what's your take on this? Yeah, the uh, this is the regards to the floor, uh, the floor price. So the floor price of of uh, Board Apes is at fifty nine uh, ETH right now, uh, and I'm pulling up the the CryptoPunks floor price. Uh, oh my gosh, floor price 
which is clocking in at 65.8 ETH. So CryptoPunks have reclaimed the higher <laughs> floor price. Um, but I, I, I wrote this in the predictions uh, article that we haven't released yet. Uh, two weeks ago that I did, I did say that board apes are probably going to flip punks just because they I think they're, they have so much more surface area. They're newer. It's hard. They, they have the momentum. Uh, they're just kind of in pulp culture. So, I mean, board apes, one, one of the big stories of 2021 is definitely the board apes. Are they doing different things versus um, CryptoPunks? Like are they CryptoPunks providing- are, are like the Bitcoin of, of NFTs. They don't do anything. And like, okay. the, there was a theory that like, it, you know, Bitcoin actually needs to pay for security and CryptoPunks don't. And so like CryptoPunks can work where Bitcoin actually That's like the fat, not. The fat CryptoPunk thesis? Exactly, yeah. Idea? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see how well that, that plays out into 2021. But CryptoPunks but are board- definitely more of a, a crypto native, Ethereum native type of uh, NFT. And the Bored Apes are, have reached into new horizons. And Bored Apes are still building, right? Like they're still yeah. doing things. They're adding utility to yep. the Bored Apes and that maybe that's part project. of it. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Uh, Snoop Dogg got in as well, David. So he just aped. And this is from his main account, not his, uh, not his um, Medici account. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like he's got four. Know, yeah, one, one actual board ape, two mutant board apes, and then a board ape kennel club as well. Oh, man, that's crazy. You know what I'm waiting for though? This is this this graph right here, David. Uh, speaking of flippings, Ooh. look at this. Oh my, yeah, get out. So of first, here. the apes pass the crypto punks, and then long term, real long term, this might be like years in the making. The turtles come and dominate. I'm pretty sure that's up. like at the end of this year. That had that green spike is like for tomorrow, Ryan. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a dot, dot, dot. You know, who knows? That timeline just kind of like this could take thousands of years, David. You know, turtles move at the speed of turtles. That's how it goes. <laughs> turtles move uh, at the speed of turtles. <laughs> Adidas. They just sold $22 million in NFTs. Mm-hmm. That's crazy, man. So what are they doing here? Yeah, they sold 30,000 NFTs at 0.2 ETH each. And they all sold out, which is nuts. They made they made twenty two million dollars. They also did this right. Uh, they they got into the NFT influencers. They bought a board ape, uh, put on an, an Adidas jacket on their board ape, put it as their profile picture. Started doing and did NFTs right. Uh, and so look what happens when you do NFTs right as a company. You get twenty two million dollars in revenue. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, they got to be so happy about that. And uh, other brands have got to be following. Um, I wonder who the buyers of these things are. Do you think this is more mainstream, or do you think this is like I can't? This can't be the traditional crypto NFT I It's got to be mainstream, even though like seven hundred and fifty dollars for an Adidas NFT, like mainstream, ready to cough that up. That that, that was kind of confusing. I was sort of surprising, but, but yeah, yeah, good for them. Success, success either way. Uh, the weekend is releasing an NFT as well on Tom Brady's platform. His platform called Autograph. This is a blinding lights single that um, is inspiring seven NFTs that are going to be auctioned on OpenSea. So now we have mainstream artists entering the fray as well. That's been a story that uh, has been continuing to develop over the course of the year. NFTs are for everyone. And we're just going to see celebrity, more and more celebrities all throughout 2022. So get used to it. Get used to it. Um, should we get used to Facebook being called Meta? That's, no. I'm, I'm finding that hard to get used to, okay? But like, let's call them Meta. Here's the Facebook CTO promising deep compatibility between what meta is doing in the metaverse and blockchain um i guess they're bullish web3 at least that's what they're saying what do you think about this yeah deep compatibility is not uh what i want it to be which is built on top of 
Uh, compatibility implies two things coming together where the metaverse significantly needs to be built on top of a decentralized protocol. So nice try, Meta. Not, not a fan. Uh, but I mean, they're going to, you know, they have to actually, actually onboard crypto assets, crypto monies, NFTs anyway. So, I mean, this isn't anything a surprise. This you, messaging is, is expected. Do you think they still think that they can become like the, a the blockchain metaverse? killer? Do you think they think they are the metaverse or what do you, what's, what do you think they're trying to do here? They are probably at the very least trying to become people's first metaverse. Like, hey, we want to get into the metaverse? Start with Facebook. Mm. Um, they, I, don't, I think they know they can't capture the whole entire thing because that's antithetical. Um, but if they can, ca- like, it's just, it's just a fight for mindshare. It's funny because it's something I'm still not worried at, about at yeah. all. Like, I still think they don't have a shot at uh, competing against, like, the property rights and, you know, strong settlement guarantees of uh, crypto networks. And mm-hmm. they will have to provide deep compatibility with them in order to execute on their strategy. So not worried about Facebook long-term uh, and its threat on Web3. Let's, let's talk about Jack. He's got Here a different go. perspective on Web3. Jack Dorsey, the former CEO of Twitter, uh, he, of course, uh, stepped down a, a few weeks ago. That was a big story when we talked about it. But uh, he's pretty anti-Web3, it seems like. What, what's this meme that we're looking at, David? Jack Dorsey's been anti-everything that's not Bitcoin, basically, from as long as I can remember. Everything so, in crypto, yeah? Everything in crypto that's not Bitcoin, Jack's not a fan of it. Uh, and uh, he's explained some of his reasoning why, but it boils down to the same old arguments that he thinks that nothing other than Bitcoin is actually decentralized and everything else is just a cash grab. So he retweeted a, uh, a, um, a comic that has a pipe just flowing water into the mouths of Silicon Valley VCs. Meanwhile, there's a very famished looking retail investor that is under a small, small, small hole in the pipe just getting some drops, just a few <laughs> drops. Uh, and so all the value of Web3, the, what Jack is claiming is he's retweeted this with a, with the 100 emoji. He's claiming that Web3 is just putting all the value into Silicon Valley VCs uh, and implying that, you know, Web3 is just this VC created, you know, way to make a bunch of money. Just overall very like cynical and skeptical on the, the fact of the idea of Web3 at all. Um, I have my opinions on this. Uh, Jack follows this up and, and says, you don't own, quote, Web3. The VCs and their LPs do. It will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into. Uh, so, wow, some pretty harsh words coming out of Jack Dorsey, founder of Twitter, about, uh, about the whole entire concept of Web3. Uh, I've got my thoughts, Ryan. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think harsh and wrong. Right, so like the, the idea that VCs are the owners of, of Web threes, I think this is particular to um, to some protocols, right? Some uh, DeFi protocols, maybe governance protocols, you could say. VCs own uh, some of those, but um, you know, at, at its core, something like Ethereum, which is actually depicted in this meme, is not VC owned. It's really interesting that there were no VCs as part of the original um, sale of Ethereum. Like for one, here's Balaji saying Ethereum raised zero dollars from VCs as kind of a, a comment on this. And I mean, that's true. Also, VCs do not control Ethereum. I mean, like if you think VCs control Ethereum, then you have to apply those same rules to uh, to Bitcoin and say like whales and VCs control Bitcoin. But like they don't. They don't control mm-hmm. Ethereum. They don't control Bitcoin. So the entire assertion is uh, is false. Maybe he's like, focusing on some sliver or some subset right. of Web3 that like 
we have criticized as well as being kind of overly whale or VC owned. You know, the Binance chains of the world, you make the case for that. You make the case for some like DeFi protocols. You could make the case maybe for some elements of, um, you know, alternative layer ones. But I think it's unfair to categorize all of Web3 as being completely owned by, uh, by VCs. What's your take? Apparently, if you were following this story very, very in depth, that there that um, Jack was really going after uh, A16Z and Adrian Horowitz specifically. Apparently, has a bone to pick with them. Um, ah, I, I think yeah. that's kind of what's going on under the hood. Makes more sense. But overall, there's been a ton of investment, a ton of a ton of deal flow into a ton of Web3 platforms, Web3 protocols that are happening right now. So maybe this critique is more about 2021 Web3 and not like maybe the foundations of you know how Ethereum didn't raise any money from VCs. Maybe he's talking about more about the apps that have raised money recently. Um, but there's still some some big big things that we need to parse apart here. First off, the the comic of all this value flowing into VC's mouth and then the retail just only getting droplets. We have to remember where we came from because before Web3, it was absolutely nothing into retail. It would, <laughs> it would go straight into VC's and you would never even hear about it. So the fact that we are even complaining about this just tells you how much Web3 actually has moved the needle. Retail didn't even have an option or even knowledge about how to complain about not having deal flow from early stage startups. Now that we actually have a taste of, a, taste of it, because of Web3, now we actually put up a fight about like, hey, don't give all the money to VCs. You got to give some to the retail too. So first off, there's that. Like the Overton window has already shifted to the point where we are allowed to complain about this in the first place. Did you the see second this meme, off, by the way? David? There's goddamn airdrops. What are airdrops except for giving tokens and value towards users? The Uniswap airdrop, the ENS airdrop, the Gitcoin airdrop all the airdrops, every single airdrop you've ever gotten, you didn't even have to invest. You just had to use it. You did, the VCs had to invest money. The users just had to use it for free. And so there's a great meme of uh, somebody crying with wiping their, their tears with $100 <laughs> bills. And the caption is, me with my ENS airdrop after Jack said Web3 only makes money for VCs. To me, the, like, this is one of those things that like, it's actually so incredibly the opposite of what Jack is saying that is kind of dumbfounding. It's like, it's he, somehow Jack went full circle and said like, Web3 is all about giving money to VCs. It's literally the opposite. It is literally about how much, how can we make our users wealthy? That is what Web3 is. Yeah, I agree with that. There's also another um, comment from Balaji. He says, I respect everything you built, talking to Jack, but I also disagree here. Twitter started as a protocol, the free speech wing of the free speech party, then corporate and political incentives led to deplatforming and censorship. Web3 offers the possibility, not a guarantee, of something better turning Twitter into a protocol, something that uh, unfortunately Jack was not able to accomplish during his tenure at Twitter. Um, he says, he follows up, of course, I don't believe Twitter set out to bait and switch developers or promise free speech, get people to invest years in their profiles, then censor them. But that is where the incentives landed upon. Web3's smart contracts may prove more durable than Web2's social contracts. Love this it. is what I also fundamentally don't understand about Jack's take is Web3 offers a solution to the things that Jack, um, you know, claims are his values, which is, you know, values of, of, of free speech and minimization of, of censorship resistance. So I don't know, it's ongoing back and forth between Jack Dorsey and uh, the Web3 and, and crypto community. Um, I guess my invitation would be this to, to Jack is like, I think the community wants a longer conversation about this with you, Jack. Like, 
do you are you rejecting the VC definition of Web3 or are you rejecting the entire premise of Web3? Like that's a question that I think we have. Do you see Bitcoin as Web3? I mean, the way you and I define Web3, David, it's kind of synonymous with crypto. And so if you say you hate Web3, then do you also hate Bitcoin? Uh, also, Ethereum is like very close to Bitcoin from a values perspective, right? It's like Vitalik has called it moderate Bitcoin values. And I really feel like that's the case. So why the hate for Ethereum all of the time? That's the discussion we want to have with Jack Dorsey uh, of, you know, on the Bankless podcast. DMs are open, man. So, uh, you know, come on. Let's, let's talk about out, it. Jack. Let's hash sure. it out. Uh, Ray Dalio, someone else we want to get on the podcast. I've been listening to a lot of Ray Dalio podcasts, actually, over the past week or so break. Um, but apparently, he says crypto should be part of a diversified portfolio. This is new in 2021. He wasn't saying this right. in previous years. This is new for Ray Dalio. Of course, a billionaire hedge fund investor, fantastic insights on long-term macro trends. I have a lot of respect for him. Now he's coming around to crypto, it seems. Any thoughts here? Yeah, I, I think I would classify Ray Dalio in 2020 and 2021 as cautiously optimistic. And now in 20, or at the end of 2021, I would call Ray Dalio decently well convinced. Uh, listening to him on the Lex Friedman podcast and also in this article right here, he talks about how Bitcoin has stood the test of time. Uh, and so this is one of uh, you know our biggest advantages in the crypto industry. We have time on our side. Uh, if you don't invest in crypto in the first zero through five years, totally fine. Five to 10 years, totally fine. But 10 to 20 years, like now you're going to have to start to actually account for like, hey, it's been here for a while. Like it's not going away. Uh, and Ray Dalio is, I think he's calling it good at 12 years of crypto. He's like, okay, 12 years of crypto, like it's here to stay. Uh, and now it should be a part of your portfolio. Uh, and so I think that's a perfectly pragmatic and reasonable uh, conclusion. Do you know, David, on the podcast I was listening to, he's actually talking about NFTs too. Like yeah. Issuing yeah, his own NFTs, is. purchasing NFTs. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. really funny how um, how all of this provides surface area to like right. get, getting people uh, on the crypto train. Right, because um, it's, it's one thing to just stick around for 12 years, but it's also one thing to also, as an ecosystem, be exponentially growing for 12 <laughs> exactly. years. Exactly. And, and garnering more attention. I mean, it's always part of the conversation. Everyone wants to talk about it. Um, so this is the story we're talking about in releases a little bit alluded to this. Crypto exchange Kraken, that is a, a crypto bank, crypto exchange, they just acquired staking startup Staked. So Staked, like Figment, which is $1 billion, $1 billion unicorn type valuation status, is a staking services provider. Uh, and they were just acquired by a crypto bank. What's interesting about this story, David, is like, um, so I, I spent some time in the in the staking game. Actually, I was one of the with, with Figment and staked one of the original validators on the Cosmos network um, back in the day. And one of the things I saw happening is because like Cosmos and many of these other protocols operate almost like a, a delegated proof of stake type of network. So ind individuals really don't run their own nodes, run their own staking nodes in these types of networks. Uh, they generally they stake them with a third party, someone you trust, right? And so one thing that I observed in, in my days kind of staking as part of these networks is like um, they were all becoming sort of like whale staking service providers. They had to in order to um, Meet their margins. You know, make their margins and like do, do the best in the game. And so in that kind of game, the thing I, I saw was like the, the bigger fish would just snap up the, the smaller fish and then you'd get a smaller and smaller pool of staking service companies uh, like 
you know, over time. And this is finally what's happening, right? It's like, I, I was pretty certain at that time that all the staking service companies would eventually, you either go public or you're acquired by a crypto bank of some form or another. And to me, that is such a, um, it's, it's just, it's a very big centralization vector for this entire space because now, Essentially, all you're doing is is you are staking directly with Kraken and you're kind of back to square one. So like the Coinbase of the world, they're smart. They're going to grow their business. They're going to acquire other staking service providers, too. And they have in the past. They've acquired Bison Trails, for instance, uh, and incorporated that into their their staking service provider. So the protocol itself, I feel like, is incented and and basically pushes in the direction of more centralization with fewer and fewer staking parties and we're seeing this with stake here i i don't fault staked for this right it's like and obviously this is a good play for kraken like so i understand why everyone's doing it it's just back to the descent fundamental decentralization of of so-called layer one protocols um there has to be some resistance against this or you'll end up with just a very small set of staking you know uh service providers that everyone's using and then like what's the point the, there's a huge line between being able to stake on computers that you naturally find in people's homes and any other type of staking, because any other type of staking just more and more tilts towards centralization, especially delegated proof of stake. Delegated proof of stake and actual proof of stake are completely different beasts. Uh, and that's all I will say about that. Yep. Uh, all right, let's keep moving. Uh, A16Z, they just put out a poll. Voters prefer candidates that support Web3. Nice. The title of this poll. Americans want policymakers to play an active role in supporting the next generation of the internet. This is from a, a survey of individuals in the US. One in five people in the US own cryptocurrency, the survey finds. 35% of those between 18 and 34, a key demographic. Um, kind of cool. I guess more support for the, for the idea that uh, voters will vote in candidates who support Web3. Crypto, the word crypto has always had this negative connotation. Like it's, it scares my boomer parents like, oh, crypto, like, oh, weird stuff's happening. Web3 is the perfect rebrand for cryptocurrency. It's exactly, it just fits right in. People understand it. They, they kind of understand that there's an evolution of all the negative stuff that's happening with Facebook causing like civil wars and how we're moving into a digital future with NFTs and Web3. Like it's just enough to get people's heads wrapped around it. And turns out it's a huge hit with people. It just pulls well. Um, so shout out to a future podcast episode that's coming with Erica Rhodes running to unseat Brad Sherman, uh, the guy that was making fun of about crypto and mongoose coins and Congress and all that stuff. We're having her on State of the Nation sometime in January. Uh, we're going to talk about her being a Web3 candidate, if, if she likes the Web3 branding and if she's trying to lean into that. Uh, so also, if you are in the California 30th district, which is northwest of LA, Erica Rhodes might be your representative. And if that's true, uh, we need you to vote for her. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about that on the State of the Nation. So stay tuned for the next couple of weeks uh, when that comes out. All right, guys, we will be right back with the takes of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Matcha, everyone's favorite DEX aggregator, has just launched an open beta for gasless trading. So if you're trading more than $5,000 in common ETH and wrapped Bitcoin pairs, then your gas fees on Matcha are free. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, 
Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible price without any trading fees or unnecessary slippage. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your orders across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that, that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single and easy to use platform and has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and getting a bad price. Matcha also allows you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz bankless, connect your wallet and start getting some of the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the Bankless Nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger Live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite DeFi apps all in one spot, Ledger Live is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy your crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into all of the DeFi apps and services that you're used to. Using Ledger Live, you can stake your ETH in Lido, swap on DEXs like Paraswap, or display your NFTs with Rainbow. You can also use Wallet Connect inside of Ledger Live to connect to all the other DeFi apps that keep coming online. DeFi never stops growing, and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all of the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has, and stay tuned as more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab a Ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your DeFi apps all in one space. All right, guys, we are back with the hot takes of the week. Uh, let's start with this first one from Hugh Carp. He's the founder of Nexus Mutual, a insurance protocol. So not surprised with this take. Not valuing decentralization is like being uninsured, he says. Most of the time it's fine, and then it's not. What does he mean? I, th I think that's just a great way to illustrate the value of decentralization. Decentralization is this invisible shield of protection that you're not supposed to notice. You're not supposed to notice the decentralization. Uh, and it's there for you, regardless of whether uh, you're thinking about it or not. Um, yeah, I think it's a great take. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there for you. And then like most of the time it's fine and then it's not. In what cases does it become not fine? Oh, so many, so many different cases. Well, it depends on, also depends on the severity of the centralization. Um, I mean, if you have all your money with a bank and then the bank goes under, boom, you're, you're effed. Um, uh, if you are on a centralized blockchain and the blockchain halts and you need to get your money out, mm, ouch. Um, decentralization just protects you against uh, not only just like uh, accidental bugs in code, but also just from, from centralized control, uh, you know, Bank, banks, you know, you actually don't own your own money when you put your money in a bank. They uh, they give you IOUs, uh, and so you have to trust that. And so there, there are so many different attack vectors that are just completely mitigated with decentralization. Uh, and so uh, without decentralization, you're kind of at risk to all of them. You know, I, I always worry about here, This maybe this is a point about insurance too, is humans are really notoriously bad at um, quantifying yes. risk and yes. assessing risk, particularly over longer-term time horizons. And I think this is why... We have such a hard time quantifying the value of decentralization is because like you know if everything is going okay and the banks aren't stealing from you and you know binance isn't halting the chain and you know the hedge fund isn't calling um isn't calling robin hood to mm. halt reverse stock trades, trades yeah, right. right reverse trades then 
it all works very seamlessly and all and it all seems fine but it's those it's those it's those edge cases when when you really need decentralization that's that's the value but human beings are really bad at quantifying this and taking that risk into account so i don't know if we'll ever get out of that cycle but it doesn't just provide a defense to the individual i guess i would say it's like it's a defense to the entire system like it's a public good for the entire system kind of like similar to privacy what's the value of privacy it's like the, the value is aggregated it's a public good for everyone in society it's not just um for one individual um yeah so i don't know hopefully nice. ho hopefully humans have the ability to quantify that a little bit better this is uh Leighton with the tweet quantifying some things though quantifying hacks mm -hmm. why don't you take this david yeah, not only quantifying hacks, but also comparing the size of hacks to bank overdraft fees in 2020. So in 2021, crypto lost $7.7 .7 billion in crypto hacks and scams. But in 2020, uh, $12.4 billion was lost in bank overdraft fees. So all of these hacks that we're just like, you know, in an uproar about and all these exploits that people get money and they get frustrated... Crypto or uh, bank overdraft fees were almost twice that amount in 2020. And so Leighton finishes off saying all the scammers and hackers in the world still can't rob people as well as banks can. Nice, nice and spicy. Nice job, Leighton. I love that, by the way, like over bank overdraft fees is just one of the, the ways right. banks steal your money, yeah, right? That's just it's one, like, <laughs> one product from them. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of many. Let's see this tweet. Um, this is a, a quote from Vitalik from a recent interview. What's uh, this quote? Yeah, he says, I think the big difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum is that Bitcoin is a platform where the value of the ecosystem comes from the value of the currency. And in, in Ethereum, the value of the currency comes from the value of the ecosystem. Uh, and th this is something that I've, I've said in a different capacity. I always like to say um, the Bitcoin blockchain is meant to serve BTC, the asset. Whereas in Ethereum, the Ether, the currency, is meant to serve Ethereum, the blockchain, or Ethereum, the economy. Uh, Ether, the currency, is a means to an end to provide the strongest security to Ethereum possible so that Ethereum can host as many things as possible securely. Bitcoin, the blockchain, is a blockchain that the whole entire point of it is to do one purpose, which is to allow for 21 million Bitcoins to be sent from wallet to wallet. And that's the whole thing. Uh, and so there's there's just different priorities in these things, uh, and so you can go ahead and choose your ecosystem with whatever values that you resonate with. Do you resonate with the hard cap, or do you value a platform that has free and public security for all applications? Uh, or you know you can do both, um, but that's kind of the main differences between these two ecosystems. The the interesting thing about that too is like the ether the asset scales as well with Ethereum the economy, mm -hmm. whereas you know you know Bitcoin not so much. Bitcoin to me is a bit more like gold. And uh, Ether and Ethereum to me is is a bit more like um, we've the analogy of a, a a nation state, crypto nation state. It's a bit more like the United States, right? Not a fiat yeah. currency because this currency um, is you know scarce and deflationary and, and cannot be changed. And ultrasound cannot be changed by a central government. But it scales in the way you know the U.S.'s S and P five hundred scales according to like the uh, the value and the growth of GDP, the value and growth of the economy. So it's a it's a different way to value these assets as well. Um, let's talk about this uh, take. This is our last one of the week from uh, Daniel. Uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel got hits. <laughs> yeah, Daniel, Daniel got hits is the Twitter handle. People say, crypto is too risky for me. Me, being dependent on a single employer for all of my income and not being able to access my retirement funds until, my 65, until I'm 65 is too risky for me. 
Good point. What's I love point this. You're thinking? I love this. And th- this reminds me of a quote from um, uh, Nick, uh, Nassim Taleb's book, uh, Anti-Fragile, where he compares two people with different jobs. One of them is a barber and the other one is like a white collar office worker. Uh, the barber has very unstable, volatile income. Some, sometimes five people come into his shop every single day. So, sometimes zero people come into his shop. His income is volatile. But over the long term, his, his job security is stable because hair grows. Whereas the white collar worker, his income is very, very stable. It's a cool $60,000 a year promised by his salary that he's going to get it no matter what. But his job security is very unstable because he might just get axed at any moment of the, of any moment. Uh, and so this is, this is about leaning into towards volatility as a way to actually grow stronger and more, and more robust as, as an individual. And so if you work in crypto, a highly volatile, highly rapid uh, environment, you actually gain job security because you learn how to live in a volatile world. Uh, and this, the skills that you come out with and the connections that you come out with, the opportunity cost of being in crypto is just immense. And so there's just different kinds of risk out there. Like what kind of risk do you want? Do you want the risk of crypto volatility in the assets? Or do you want the risk of absolutely getting left behind in your corporate job? This is why I have such a hard time answering the question of like, is crypto a risky asset? Because I honestly, in my heart of hearts, I don't think it's a risky asset. I don't. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a volatile asset. Yeah. But okay, volatility- People conflate does, those things way too much. And, and in fact, like uh, finance textbooks conflate those things. This is what finance people are taught, that volatility equals risk, like the, the one and the same. But um, that's not actually true, right? It's like crypto is far less risky than it first appears, even though price fluctuates and it's far more volatile. And I think the things in our everyday life that we we don't quantify, right? Like, um, you know, inflation, for instance, or, um, you know, collapse of the central bank digital currency or uh, a job loss or my job just basically in the skills that I have, um, like losing all value in the economy because the economy converts to to some new form and becomes more digital and enters the metaverse, that sort of thing. Like the risks of those those things aren't quantified by the average individual when they're just following the path that everyone else takes. So uh, yeah, way less risky than people think. Ryan, what do you think is going to be here in 100 years? What's more likely, um, Ethereum or the US dollar? See, that's 100 that's, years. That's so easy to answer for me. It's definitely Ethereum. Yeah. Right? It's like, even, it's like, in, even in its relatively nascent form, yeah, you totally. still, your answer is still Ethereum. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred percent. And I guess that's why I'm betting the way I'm betting and you're yep. betting the way you're betting. But um, a lot of people don't realize that. David, what are you excited about this week, man? Uh, I'm actually, I got something else other than being excited. Not to say I'm not excited, excited. but uh, I'm reading this book called Humankind. It's the case that humans are inherently good. Uh, and it's a, just a very feel-good book to read, by the way. So if anyone is feeling like down or they just need something to pick them up, read this book called Humankind. It's the case that, that humans are very are just inherently good. And Ryan, while, while I was uh, reading this book, they were talking about uh, how humans uh, 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 succeeded where um, what's the, Neanderthals didn't. Uh, and one of the reasons why they said that while our brain powers were about the same, the main difference between the Neanderthal brain and the, the uh, human brain is that our brains are all connected better, as in we're very, very social creatures. So my question to you, Ryan, is that this isn't ex- true at all, but I'm just going to say that it is for, for hyperbole's sake. What do you think the very first consensus mechanism that humanity ever had? What, what do you think that was? Uh, I would probably say language. 
would be my guess. But, you know, there's probably stuff before mm -hmm. that. But the big one that comes to mind is definitely language. So the going even earlier than that the main difference in ev the evolutionary paths of neanderthals versus humans is humans developed whites of eyes and neanderthals had very very big black eyes and so they didn't really have whites of the eyes and the whites of human eyes allows me to look at you and see what you're looking at and so my node can check out your node and see what your node is oh, up wild. to yeah. yeah and so like oh what, what's ryan's looking over there why is he looking over there i'm gonna go look over there uh, and all of a sudden, like a group of people can all come to consensus about where other people's attention is. So the humans have been social creatures from day one. And that's been our main competitive advantage because we've been able to sync up with each other. We've all been on the same protocols. And so whites of the eyes, the OG uh, consensus mechanism. That's wild. I guess this is why also humans developed the fantastic facial recognition software, right? It's like mm -hmm. we're very like how much of communication is nonverbal? Totally. Like 90, 90%, 95%. It's like tone, intonation, but like also body language, facial expression. That's all nonverbal. Totally. I guess that's uh, baked into our DNA. So learning, learning that, Ryan, was what I have been excited about. Ryan, what are you excited about? <laughs> that's cool, man. Well, look, I'm just excited about next year. I'm excited about 2022. I'm excited about Bankless. We've got a killer lineup of podcasts um, starting the first one of the year with uh, Vitalik, um, a number of others in, in Q1. Super excited about that. Excited about crypto. I'm bullish crypto, David. Are you? you believe that? I'm bullish crypto. <laughs> yeah. But like a lot's going on. Okay. Like roll up still haven't had their moment. So that's all ahead of us. Um, the Ethereum merge hasn't happened yet. That's still ahead of us. Been waiting for that for years. Right. I know both of us have. NFTs are just starting. Okay. Well, maybe they'll have a bear market in between, but there'll be new use cases for NFTs unlocked. We're just tapping into this thing called DAOs and figuring out how that works. So uh, 2022, I'm I'm going in there. I'm going, I'm, I'm bullish. I'm bullish both from a price perspective, but I'm also bullish, you know, Chris Dixon style bullish in the podcast. He's like, hey, I look at the builder cycles. I don't care about the price cycles. I look at the builder cycles and I'm seeing more builders, more talent entering this space than ever. So it's like being simultaneously bullish on price of these assets and mainstream attention and also bullish on the building that's getting done in this space. It's a really cool, unique time for crypto that um, I don't think we've ever seen before. 2021 was a breakout year in a lot of ways, but uh, I'm just as bullish, if not more so, going to 2022. I'm just as bullish right there with you, my man. <laughs> All right. Two bulls on the Bankless podcast. <laughs> bullish from day one. Can't go wrong there. All right, here we go. Meme of the week time. David, what are we looking at? Yeah, we are looking at an actual, real, completely undoctored photograph <laughs> of somebody uh, at their wedding, eating their wedding dinner. They just got married and the groom's got his phone out watching the Bankless weekly roll up while he <laughs> eats, eats dinner with his new wife. Totally real. It totally happened. Haters will say it's fake, uh, and that is your <laughs> meme of the week. What a great meme to wrap up 2021. Guys, we hope you have a happy new year, and we'll see you again in 2022. As always, none of this was financial advice. None of the things we talked about on Bankless in 2021 were financial advice. ETH is and remains risky. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, head over to Bankless HQ right now to develop your crypto investing skills and learn how to free yourself from banks and gain your financial independence. 
we recommend joining our daily newsletter, podcast, and community as a Bankless Premium subscriber to get the most out of your Bankless experience. You'll get access to our market analysis, our alpha leaks, and exclusive content, and even the Bankless token for airdrops, raffles, and unlocks. If you're interested in crypto, the Bankless community is where you want to be. Click the link in the description to become a Bankless Premium subscriber today. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel for in-depth interviews with industry leaders, Ask Me Anythings, and weekly roll-ups where we summarize the week in crypto and other fantastic content. Thanks everyone for watching and being on the journey as we build out the Bankless Nation.